folks, I'm Wound Care Karen. I love being a nurse and I have a passion for wound care. I want to inspire nurses, educate patients, and have a little fun along the way. Today, we're going to talk about the role of nurse practitioners in wound care. And I'm excited to introduce my guest, Ruben Galvan, MSN, APRN, FNPBC, CHRN, and CWS. First, I always like to explain the alphabet soup behind a name. So the MSN tells me that you have your graduate degree in nursing. That's your master's degree. The APRN explains to me that you are an advanced practice registered nurse in the state of Texas. And we're going to explain that definition in a moment. The FNPBC tells me that you are a family nurse practitioner board certified. Again, we'll talk more about that. And the CHRN tells me that you're a certified hyperbaric registered nurse, like me. That means you took a test and you maintain extra education every year to be certified by the National Board of Diving and Hyperbaric Medical Technology. And then you have your CWS. That tells me that you're a certified wound nurse. And again, that tells me that you have experience, you took a test, and you maintain extra education to be certified by the American Board of Wound Management. Wow, that is a lot of letters. So that tells me you have years of experience and dedication to your career. That's awesome. So welcome, welcome, Ruben. And tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, where you went to school to earn all those degrees, etc. Well, thank you, Karen. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, you have no idea. Awesome. And again, congratulations on your podcast. I am so proud of you. Thank you. Where did I get all those degrees? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get all those degrees? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it all goes back to uh, growing up. I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field. So that's okay. that's already, that was sort of ingrained into me early on. I was really interested in TV shows that portrayed any kind of medical. Were your parents medical? Or? No. Okay. No, absolutely not. <laughs> not medical. Uh, I grew up watching MASH with my grandfather. I yes. Think that was kind of my, my kind of journey into it. Oh. And learning about that kind of stuff. Uh, of course, I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> we both are. <laughs> and I did stay up late, so right. <laughs> did come out late in the evening. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so, so that kind of uh, piqued my interest into learning the medical field. Hmm. And I was fortunate to be in a high school that had a magnet program with a health sciences center in uh, in Corpus Christi. Oh. Um, and so I was able to take the, the more science-based uh, courses, and they had a um, kind of like a health occupations education program. Oh, wow. And that particular year, my senior year, they uh, had a – or had an EMT program. Hmm. And I was fortunate enough to be able to, to do the training and take the test and get my certification while I was in high school. I was an EMT basic, which is an emergency medical technician. Oh, wow. But being at the age of 18, nobody would hire you. <laughs> Because <laughs> your insurance is quite expensive. <laughs> oh, oh, I can imagine. Yes. So I had to still, you know, kind of keep my my regular uh, after school job, and then once right. I graduated, I, I became an EMT full time. Okay. Of course, and uh, from there, I was working with a uh, with one of my partners. Of course, we work in pairs mm-hmm. um, with the ambulance. It was a private service, so this was not emergency, like nine one one type okay. of emergency. This was it transports. Was more like transports, and and that's that's kind of what get, got my segue into uh, mm-hmm. wound care and hyperbaric medicine. So we were taking patients to the clinic uh, at the local hospital there, 
And I kind of just got interested in hyperbarics. I saw the chambers and kind of saw how patients were coming there every day. And, oh, wow. And I kind of asked, well, how are things here? And it kind of got my interest going. And they're like, yes, you know, you're an EMT. We can certainly welcome you and mm-hmm. we can show you what we do. And you can come up to San Antonio and do some training. So that got me interested. And yeah, certainly I took the job and got trained. And wow. later on became a CHT, Certified Hyperbaric Technologist. Awesome. So I was an EMT and CHT for a little while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, kind of got to see working with nurses. I, I, I didn't really know that I wanted to be a nurse at that point in time. I just, because I thought nursing was all floor nursing. I didn't know it could be in a clinic like a wound care and hyperbaric medicine yeah. center. So that was, was more appealing to me. Right, right. As I got to get, you know, looking at, well, what can I do next mm-hmm. uh, to further, you know, my training and career and that sort of thing. That's what, what uh, convinced me to go to nursing school, LVN school. Okay. Licensed vocational nursing, and that's when I I was able to apply to the program and and uh, complete the training and, and get my my uh, license as an LVN, which right. is, which in Texas, of course, licensed vocational nurse, and in uh, nationwide, it's LPN up north for those folks. Yes, that's what I'm used to from yes. Pennsylvania. Licensed yes. practical nursing. Yes. yes, awesome. And that's when I was you know getting further into the wound care aspect of things. As as now that I had my nursing license and yes. being, being able to see the I had the technical component with the chambers. Mm-hmm. And then I can broaden it with the wound care component as a, as a nurse. Right. That's true. And I did that for several years. Uh, and again, I moved to San Antonio shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's when I got into the multi-place hyperbaric realm of things. Yes. Can you remind our audience what that means uh, in case they didn't hear my <laughs> hyperbaric podcast? Oh, yes. Correct. Uh, I believe Patrick was uh, was your guest <laughs> last time. And, and he spoke most, mostly about monoplace hyperbaric uh, chambers. And uh, those are wonderful. There's a couple of other clinics, uh, especially in San Antonio, that have multi-place hyperbaric chambers mm-hmm. where it's uh, more than one occupant. And in the mul- in the multiple occupants can be up to six patients, depending on, on the size of the chamber. Mm-hmm. An inside observer or attendant has to go in with the patient to provide the treatment right. and help them put the hoods on and that sort of thing with the oxygen equipment. Mm-hmm. And so in theory, then, you can treat sicker patients in a multi-place, correct? Because you can, because there is an attendant right there. That is correct. And it's also based on kind of the level of care you're able to provide in that hospital. Yes. It may not be necessarily a critical care patient, but it could be, you know, an inpatient per se that requires at least an IV. Right. Or that sort of thing. Right. Someone to keep the IVs running, um, checking blood pressures, uh, EKG maybe. Yeah, just to monitor things. Yes. Uh, closer, someone more acutely ill, or pro- or provide you know medications that they might need that are due at that time. True, uh, true. You know if you're managing certain things. Okay. So it it uh, of course you're playing with physics on some of the things, so you have to be careful with with what you're bringing into the chamber to provide for the patient. Yes. So that can uh, change you know change your your outlook on things. Right. Everything's a little bit different. I do remember providing IVs even in the monoplace chamber and the IV. Oh um, yes. Right. So the uh, IV device the, had to be. It was like two hundred feet tubing. Right. <laughs> Sometimes like, this is right, but it you, you know you couldn't just hang a gravity drip because again you're working against pressure. So yes. it's a special IV yes. uh, device. Yeah. And actually, the IV pump uh, became an issue later because the the pumps we used twenty years ago were you know things have changed since then, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. became a problem as well in the multiplace. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. So the, those kinds of things. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> again, I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you were an inside attendant then in a, in that a is, multi-chamber? That is correct. Okay. Um, of course, you know, that puts me in uh, with the dive tables, learning, you know, mm-hmm. how many, how much my long exposure could be with that treatment with the patient. Right. And 
someone would relieve me halfway through the treatment. And, and that kind of just depended on what the, the goal was or the need of the of, of the particular day. Right, right. And that's a whole different dynamic to think about your staff. Uh, in the morning, you do like a morning huddle. Mm-hmm. Then you also have to do a morning kind of wellness fit to dive kind of thing. Ah. So imagine that kind of layer of, uh, <laughs> of, of readiness, if you will. Um, right, because if someone has like a cold or... Exactly. Allergy, right? They might exactly. might not be able to be the inside attendant for that day or for that long, right? It, yes, uh, definitely. So, or you need to know that, yeah, it's my turn to go in today. Well, okay, I shouldn't have worn my makeup today oh. <laughs> uh, for the ladies, of course. Right. Um, right. Oh, it, yeah. That kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's those are things to definitely keep in mind. Okay. But yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay today. I know that with the weather in San Antonio, of course, uh, it's... It, <laughs> It's rough this time of year, so you just you just got to kind of have more personnel available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have more staff than you think you need because of that reason. So depending on the number of treatments or sessions that you have going on per day, right? Wow, that would take a lot so of coordination. It, it, it yes, it, it would get a little challenging at times, but mm-hmm. luckily they you know we were well staffed. Of course, this is pre-pandemic. This is way early. You know, this is twenty years ago. Right, right. <laughs> we had a lot of bodies. Right. To help. Uh, to share that uh, burden. So that was really good. Mm-hmm. And then after I did that, that stint with the multi-place, I decided to go to nursing school, back to nursing school to get my RN. So okay. that's when I got my RN license. And uh, what school did you go to for that? I did uh, San Antonio College. Oh, okay. For my associate degree in nursing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I decided to go back later and get my BSN, my Bachelor of Science in Nursing, mm-hmm. uh, at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. Okay. They're out in Lubbock. Yes, I've heard of that. And they also do a nurse practitioner. So I decided to go for my advanced practice registered nursing uh, certification. Okay. It, all at Texas Tech? All at Texas Tech, okay. yes. Okay, gotcha. And uh, my population focus is family, okay. uh, family nurse practitioner. So that was the pathway I did. And so that's something you choose when you're in NP school, like you choose your pathway at that time? Yes. Okay. It, it's it's better if you have an idea of which way you're going. Okay. There's other certifications available. Mm-hmm. So there's an adult GERO pathway where you're just dealing with adults only in like an acute care setting, okay. like a hospital, for example. I see. And then there's mine, which is family uh, but deals with you're going to do children, you're going to do well women exams, you're going to do. Oh, right. Uh, so it's a, a much broader and I think a longer uh, pathway. Okay. Um, right. Because you're learning about all ages yes. instead of just adult and Jerry. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and that was a mentor of mine who was a good friend, uh, kind of told me before going into it, was she was very, she kind of steered me in the right direction. Okay. She was like, you have a broader range. You're not as narrowly focused Mm -hmm. uh, if you go with family. Okay. Um, If you know you want to be in a clinic, you probably want to go family. And and I was, that was kind of where I was leaning. I see. If I I wanted to continue wound care. Right. And uh, that was probably the best way to go. Okay. As in most wound care centers, I I felt or I I was thinking the doctor was also a family physician at some point. Right. Is is what my experience had been. Mm-hmm. And I think it was better matched up for that. Because we did treat children in, in uh, wound clinics mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, when I was in a hospital, that was associated with a wound clinic. Mm-hmm. Another pathway is uh, psych mental health, correct? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, P-M-H-N-P. Okay. And there's and there's there's a strictly pediatric pathway, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it's just different pathways for your MSNNP track. And I think we're missing one more. There's actually a women's health. Okay, a women's health one. Yes, or a, or a nurse midwifery. Yes, you can become a certified nurse midwife. 
Yes. Uh, C N M. Okay. So I don't want to. I don't know much about it. I'm just. I wanted to just kind of mention it. Right. Right. And and it's kind of interesting in our program. We're all together in the beginning, so we all get kind of very similar base, you know, foundational courses, and okay. then we all branch off into our specialties. Well, that makes sense, right? So, kind of at a certain point, you might be able to change your mind. True. And the I families see. in acute care might talk to each other, or, yeah. <laughs> or, or things things in their life might change, and they might be a little more like um, open to maybe switching. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, can we talk a little bit about? what it means or how to become a nurse practitioner. So, and again, each state is different, right? So you and I can only talk about the state of Texas. Those are the, that's the state we live in. So in the state of Texas, it looks like the prerequisite is to have at least your master's degree. That's your graduate degree in nursing. Although when I was doing research uh, for today, I found that there is some type of waiver for graduates prior to January 1st, 1996. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so um, one of my favorite, before we get talking about nursing degrees, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to personally is called Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners. And I just love it. It features Tom and Ben. They're both nurse practitioners, and they've they've been doing that podcast for a couple years. It it helped me learn a lot about advanced practice nurses, but they also talk about just healthcare in general and social issues and just about everything. And early in their show in January and February 2020, they talk about the difference between like associate's degrees, bachelor's degree, and then they go on to discuss nurse practitioner education. So um, my audience, I do encourage you to check it out if you're interested. It's called Just Some Podcast. And the episode I'm talking about is January and February of 2020. So to get back on track then, so we, so you have your MSN and then you go to NP school and we talked about the different tracks and how we also talked about how you chose family nurse practitioner. And I see that you write your initials FMP slash BC, but I've also seen nurse practitioners write it FMP slash C. So what what's the difference between that? What does that mean? It depends on the board that you took your test under. Uh, I was with the ANCC. Okay. And the other board that they use, I believe, is AANP. I'm not 100%. I, I believe. I, okay. I might have the, 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 the letters transposed. So how, did, how do you choose what board or what tests you take? Well, because my school was in Lubbock and... Mm-hmm. I knew that the local college university here were using the ANCC board. So I didn't want to look different when I tested. So I, I basically, I didn't have a, 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 rash, a reason. I could, I could have tested under both, either right. one. Okay. I, I just chose that one because I felt it was not going to, what everybody else was testing right. out around here. Yeah. Tested, tried, intrude, and and yeah, yeah, so it, why, why go off on a different path? I, correct. Okay. Correct. And in my research, it, it looks like Texas recognizes seven different qualifying national certifying bodies. So so that's interesting. So I'm beginning to understand the different pathways and certifying bodies. So now if we can talk a little bit about scope of practice. And again, we, we can only kind of talk about Texas. Please, everyone should know that it varies state to state. But essentially, in addition to assessing a patient, you can interpret test results, you can make medical diagnoses, you can order testing and treatments, and you can even prescribe medications. But the prescriptive authority is separate, right? Like not all nurse practitioners have that. That's something you have to apply for, right? That is correct. Okay. And that's obvious. Is that with the state then that you apply for your prescriptive authority? Yes, but it's in, in, in uh, conjunction with your collaborating physician. Okay. Okay. It, that's it, right. It's all done at the same time. Oh, okay. Essentially. Okay. Okay. 
Can you explain what it means to have a collaborating physician? You have a physician that that oversees what you're doing um, as a as someone that you collaborate with. You're you're presenting your findings to the physician, and they're they're helping you with the uh, if you have any questions, or they're also giving directing you if there's you know anything else you need to kind of treat the patient. You know, they guide you right. if, if you need that help. Right. Okay. And and in Texas, nurse practitioners have to have a collaborating physician, right? That is um, correct. But other states, like I've seen some states, they call it um, full practice authority or reduced authority or restricted authority for NPs. So I guess in some states, they don't need to have a collaborating physician. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I'm trying. I don't recall which states off the top of my head, but basically you could hang a shingle and you can practice as a nurse practitioner. Completely independently. Without having a a particular agreement in place. Uh, Okay. I'm I'm not, okay. is as the basic, is what I'm just trying to point out. Right. And, and again, this would vary state by state. And so when you're in your school, then I would hope that your school would, you know, teach you those um, regulations, right? Yes. Okay. They, they, they also explain how to set that up, you know, Good. coach you a little bit on what you need to do to kind of set that up. Right. And the act of... Mm, Finding a collaborating physician, like is that that's all on you, right? That is or, correct. Okay, gotcha. In a perfect scenario, it's a physician you've already worked with right. as a nurse, and they've seen you grow and develop as well with your practice and, and working that. So that working relationship is a good foundation mm-hmm. to establish that collaborative role. Of, right, because it's got to be someone you trust. I mean, they have. They clearly have to trust you exactly. a lot. Exactly. You're operating under their license also. But yeah, it's someone you want to trust too and someone that you know has the knowledge and is going to be available. All of that. Yes. Wow. So there has to be definitely this very, very open dialogue and, and both need to be approachable. Yes. Okay. Gosh. Okay. I've learned a lot about what it takes to become a nurse practitioner in the scope of practice. Um, can we talk about different roles, various roles that a nurse practitioner can play in the wound care spectrum? So, like, let's start with you, um, your current role in wound care. You you work in acute care, right? So that means you you also work in a hospital? That is correct. Awesome. What What's a typical day for you, like, in the hospital? A uh, typical day is basically come in and look at my list of consultations that I that have been given to me and I go and assess the patients and, and assess typically it's a wound and mm-hmm. if find out where it is on the body, mm-hmm. <laughs> what caused it. And uh, if it, it's basically a triage that I do for the patient okay. in the acute setting, you, you have to make a, a decision rather quickly, whether this wound is infected, needs treatment right now. Does this wound need surgery? Right. Does this patient require some other kind of intervention mm-hmm. regarding the wound? Um, like for example, if it's on the foot, uh, mm-hmm. let's say it's a heel, but it, it might be a pressure ulcer. It could be an arterial ulcer. I might need to do some or order some studies to check vascular flow. Right. Uh, order some imaging, maybe an X-ray or MRI, depending on what we're looking for. And then if I need a podiatry consult, I'll, I'll put in the podiatry consult. I'll uh, order a vascular surgeon consult. Those kinds of things. Gotcha. So I kind of get the the players involved mm-hmm. uh, as as kind of what I see. Or I get things going so that way when they are brought on board, they have a lot more results in front of them to make their decisions. Right. Cultures, yeah. uh, if you need yes. infectious disease consult, Correct. et cetera. Okay. Correct. See. And a lot of times I'm also helping the hospitalist. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, it, 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 they got a lot going on. And if I can make things easier for them, they're happy for that. Right. So I can provide discharge orders on the wound care specific stuff. Oh, that's, that's, oh, I bet that's a great help. And especially because sometimes DME is required. Correct. Yeah, and, negative and and I can yes, especially so yes, and, and that that's also part of the triage. Where well, does this need a wound back today? Is this something we need to do? Right. Or does it need debridement first, and then we need an uh, uh, then we can put a wound back, or do we need a diverting colostomy? Let's say it's a pressure injury on the buttocks or something. Right. And that's definitely what what my role is. I'm like, okay, this needs to happen now. We need to get this surgery done, you know, within the stay, and let's get this going. Right. And you're so lucky because with your advanced knowledge in hyperbarics, you can also recognize when a patient needs hyperbaric oxygen therapy right away too. Whereas, you know, someone without the knowledge of hyperbarics actually might not pick up on that. That is correct. And I know we think of diabetic foot ulcers, but also I see radiation cystitis. it might happen to stumble upon some other radiation affected tissues that could benefit from. So I catch some right. of those a few times. Right, crush injuries, um, crush injuries, yes. necrotizing fasciitis. Yeah, those yes. are things that you can recognize yes. quickly and get them into hyperbarics if needed. Yes, that's certainly. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. And then um, you also come and help us out in outpatient uh, care. So you come sometimes you come to the clinic that I work and you fill in if the physician isn't available. So that's really helpful, right? Yes, definitely. I think it's cool in your role because you see a lot of patients who actually you met them in the hospital when they were acute care and then they get discharged and go home and then they follow up in the outpatient wound clinic and sometimes you see them there. Yes. That's got to be yes, really yes. rewarding. Yes. That's cool. And in uh, in the wound clinic, um, you do everything that the physician does. If they need debrided, you, you order tests, etc. Yes. yes, I can perform, you know, debridements on, mm-hmm. on the wounds. Uh, I can perform debridements, you know, in the hospital as well at bedside if, mm-hmm. if it's something very, you know, minimal. Right. You can order tests. You can interpret the results. Do you, do you go to other facilities such as long-term care or long-term acute care? I used to. Um, I used to, to be in the LTAC and the skilled nursing facilities uh, pretty heavily. Uh, up until a few years ago, I, I was able to just focus at the one acute care setting. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I think that's that's great because I, I worked in long-term care in the 1990s in Pennsylvania. At that time, we didn't have visiting wound care providers. We, we had to literally transfer patients out to outpatient wound clinics. And as you well know, that's that's not ideal. I mean, some of them needed stretchers. They all needed, you know, attendants to go with them. You know, majority of them were elderly. And uh, it's just, it was so, so difficult on them for sure. So I'm so glad that we now have services that visit long-term care facilities and take care of the patients in the homes. So that's awesome. Yes, I, I will say, you know, the LTAC is a very... It's a wound care heavy place, and uh, that it was. I I learned a lot. Uh, right, it, they were acutely ill. Some, a lot of them, right? My my wound care, like my skills. Your game. <laughs> my game was elevated to. <laughs> took it to a level. Yeah, 10. I was. Yeah, it was way expert level. Yeah, <laughs> it, it took it helped me grow very much. Yeah, very much. I bet that's awesome. I think between you and I, we've covered all spectrums of wound care. You've seen acute care. Uh, we've both done long-term care. We do outpatient ambulatory care. 
And on weekends, I do home health. So I see patients in their home. And I also volunteer at a free medical clinic. So I I help with some street medicine and stuff. So hey, high five. Yeah, that's wonderful. treating a lot of wounds here in San Antonio. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But, But you do more than wound care though, right? You also have a business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What it's called and what kind of services you provide? Oh, yes. Um, I do health and wellness. I have a clinic with my own practice, uh, Full Circle Medical Group. Oh, Full Circle Medical Group. Okay. That's awesome. How, like, what made you think to start that? How did you do that? Well, it was wound care that <laughs> seen a lot of wounds. I was kind of like, well, I need to get to the beginning of, of all this before it happens. Yes, to help them treat their chronic conditions, right? Their diabetes, their high blood pressure, their vascular. Correct. Oh, what an awesome, that's really cool that you connected those dots. And it was even a little bit, and during my training as a, as a nurse practitioner, I, I stumbled upon a, a while about learning about hormone optimization, mm-hmm. you know, lowering insulin resistance and all those things to, that all correlate to, you know, losing weight, mm-hmm. uh, improving energy and, and just getting, improving cell function, essentially. Right. Reducing inflammation in yes. the body. Yes. Yes. And also I, I became very, uh, when you're looking at insulin resistance, well, what are causes of insulin resistance? And then I also stumbled on the PCOS and to, mm-hmm. you know, really looking at barriers to what are causing people to, to you know, what's causing, what's, what's making them gain weight rather. Mm-hmm. And, and what's, what it's causing them to not progress in their weight loss when they hit brick walls for everything. And so it's also metabolism related. And, right. And that sort of, but that's kind of why I, uh, I also wanted to do primary care or functional medicine uh, to optimize, you know, their their metabolism and and help them to lose weight. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. And I'll have a a link in my show notes for those of you in the San Antonio area or Bear County area that might be interested. I'll link the uh, Full Circle Medical Group, uh, Ruben's business. Um, Can we talk about a recent news headline? Sure. This happened, I think, about a month ago. And I saw on the news that a nurse practitioner, and she has her doctorate of nursing practice, so she's a DNP in the state of California, and she got into trouble for calling herself Dr. Sarah. And eventually she was found guilty and she was fined I think like almost 19,000 close to $20,000 I just this just caught my eye and I feel so bad for her and I think I guess I didn't realize it wasn't legal in some states for even though you have a doctorate to call yourself doctor I know it's unfortunate it's really unfortunate so So for folks that maybe don't understand, so a a doctorate is what we call a terminal degree. It's the end. It's the highest degree you can earn. And so she got her doctorate of nursing practice, DNP. And in in academic realm, if you have your doctorate, we call you doctor, whether it's a PhD, a DMP, a a, um, medical doctor, a a doctor of osteopathy, a doctor of pediatrics podiatric medicine if you have your doctorate we call you doctor but apparently in the state of california they have some type of business law that prevents oh not so much prevents but that really specifies who can call themselves doctors and so in the state of california it's like physicians and podiatrists and i think optometrists like it's really limited and so she when she was going to school, like you, she was an MSN, she was a nurse practitioner, and she was going to school for her doctorate. Again, that's her terminal degree. That's the degree after the MSN. She went from master's to doctorate. And when she graduated, the 
physician she was collaborating with and working with was so proud of her and encouraged everyone to call her Dr. Sarah because she now had her doctorate. And I don't find any fault in that. That's wonderful. Right. She's very supportive. Yes. That's awesome. And, you know, all those years of training and schooling, to me, it's a way of of showing honor to someone who put in all that effort. I don't plan on going back to school, but if, if for some reason I ever end up with a doctorate or PhD, you better believe I'm having everyone call me Dr. Wound Care Karen. <laughs> and I have my, my son will be calling me Dr. Mom. <laughs> I put on all that effort to get a doctorate. Well, by darn, you better believe people are going to call me doctor, but not if I move to California, apparently. Yeah, that's the that, that's a tough place. So... I in my research then I I looked it up and I guess there are there's only 6 states that do allow doctors of nurse practitioners DMPs to call themselves doctor but they do have to clarify you know you know so she could have said Dr. Sarah Ernie uh, nurse practitioner. Um, and those six states are Arizona, Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Texas, the state we live in. So what what were you advised to do when, you know, whenever you got, uh, of course, you're, I'm sorry, you're not a doctorate, but I'm sure they talked about it with you whenever you got your NP. Correct. It, it's, you have to, you don't want to create any confusion. Okay. And and I every now and then a patient will call me doctor and I have I have to correct them and I and I do correct them. Good. I said I'm not a doctor, I'm a nurse practitioner and to even further just that's why you call me Ruben. <laughs> you do not call me. <laughs> I, I can't I I just I can't stress enough like that you have to correct them. Yeah, and and to add to the mix of course because of old layers of misogyny, uh, just a lot of male nurses and nurse practitioners and physician assistants in general are confused with doctors, right? Honestly, a lot of, um, you know, lay people, they see a, a man in scrubs and they think oh, he yes. must be a doctor, right? So I'm sure that's why you get that a lot. So kudos to you for correcting them. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think, I just think that's really unfortunate. She has lost her business. She's in debt. I believe she has a GoFundMe account. Um, oh my gosh. I uh, just, that, that would, it's, it's career, it could be career ending for her. And I just think that's, that's a shame. In my opinion, the answer to be, the, the answer should have been to educate the public what it means to call yourself doctor. That, you know, folks with doctorates or PhDs are academic doctors. Yes. You know, not to slap her wrist and fine her almost $19,000. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So I think the take-home message is whatever degree you have, whatever license you have, just to be sure and check the laws in your state, right? Yes. And, and even in my clinic, my, my staff, they tell the any new patients, especially the new, new patients, they, they point out, you know, Ruben is a nurse practitioner. Okay. There's, there's, they've heard it two or three times before they've met me. Before they even meet. Okay, yeah, good. Just, good. just so I don't have any set of sort of confusion. Good. I'll run into because, problems like this. Because I don't, yeah, I do not want to have any, any problems like that. Right, right. And I think I think what had happened was I it probably would have been okay maybe colloquially like in her office if they were calling her Dr. Sarah, but I think what happened was eventually like on perhaps Facebook and I I know on like third party groups like Health Grades, they would simply list her as Dr. Sarah Ernie. Oh, that's not correct. necessarily followed up with nurse <laughs> practitioners. So I think that's uh what happened and a certain district attorney and a deputy district attorney in her county um, decided to take on that fight and um, just know that DAs and deputy DAs, those are elected offices. So 
if uh, constituents don't agree with that, perhaps he won't be in office uh, when the next term comes and up. It's, yeah, it's very important if you have any social media that, that has your name, you have your credentials behind your name, just so there is no confusion. Right. That, that's just really good, you know. Advice. Yeah. And and in fact, that came down with her ruling was she was not only fined uh, $19,000 for the next five years, she has to monitor the internet and correct any sites that are, I guess, accidentally calling her Dr. Sarah Ernie. So that was actually part of her ruling. So, wow. Okay. So to wrap it up, I actually asked this of all my guests. So, Ruben, if there was a movie about you, who would you want to play you? Ooh. <laughs> Interesting. I think Paul Rudd, he could keep his hair. He doesn't have to <laughs> shave his head for me. <laughs> That'd be awesome. No, that's great because like you, he has a way of um, having a serious face, but saying something really funny that comes out of his mouth. So I think that's a great idea. Paul Rudd <laughs> playing Ruben Galvan. You hear that, Paul Rudd? Look, look me up. <laughs> Shout out to Paul Rudd. There you go. Hashtag Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and clarifying what it means to be a nurse practitioner and the rules you play. I really, really appreciate this. Thank oh, you so much. Ruben. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yes. My pleasure. And again, I'll have those links to your to your business in my show notes. Thank you. Folks, this podcast was recorded in San Antonio, Texas in December of 2022. It was developed, produced, and edited by yours truly, Wound Care Karen. And I did it all while doing two loads of laundry. The views expressed here belong to me and my guest and not our employers or affiliates. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give me a five-star review. If you have ideas for future podcast content, please drop me a line at contact at woundcarekaren.com or message me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm Wound Care Karen. And please remember, folks, time does not heal all wounds. So if that happens to you, please seek help from a wound care professional.